0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Cindy Music, Director of Vegetation Management Services at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. Cindy talks with us about their helicopter program, the challenges of a cooperative, and much more. Have a listen and hope you enjoy. Well, we're very pleased today to have Cindy Music with us. She's from uh, Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. And uh, why don't we start off, Cindy, by just you give us a little bit of background. Tell us about your company.
1: Sure. Um, Rappahannock Electric Cooperative is, as you may have guessed, a cooperative in the central part of Virginia. We serve about 180,000 members. Uh, We have about 7,500 miles of overhead Line that my department maintains across twenty two counties in Virginia.
0: Very good. Uh, you're also president or you're with an association of cooperatives. Is that correct?
1: There's quite a few working groups within this organization related to E related to finance, related to um, customer service and and so forth. And we were able to stand up um, a vegetation management working group. Uh, last year. so we have uh, met a few times in person a couple times actually and um, and it's fantastic.
2: Cindy for, for context for, for our viewers, um, maybe you could kind of frame the the overall sort of uh, co-op market. So for example like I think Rappahannock is like what top five in the country in terms of size is that about right? Yes. Yeah. We are. And, and just for context also, like how many co-ops do you think there are across the U S just?
1: Um, I believe there's over 900 cooperatives. Most of them are small. Um, most of them are around 40, 50 employees and, um, you know, a few thousand members. Um, we're, we are one of the biggest, um, we have over 400 employees and, um, yeah, it's, it's a big utility.
2: What um, One of the things that, you know, and Cindy, you and I met, I think, for the first time at, at Trees and Utilities um, last year, and, and, you know, we've chatted a little bit since then. One of the most interesting things that stood out to me um, when you gave us a little bit of color in terms of how you guys operate, how you guys function, is just how technologically plugged in you guys are, and at least to me, it felt like you're kind of ahead of your peer group, um, specifically the, your co-op peer group. But like, where does that, where does all that sort of come from? Like, Where is that sort of focus on technology being kind of data focused? Like, is, are these initiatives that you yourself are kind of driving and leading? Is this kind of the, the leadership team as a whole has committed to this? Like, where is that coming from and, and how, why has it been so effective?
1: Um, I would say it's coming from a few different places. Um, we we definitely see the value in technology. We see the def- value in analytics and knowing what your numbers are and then creating an actionable plan based on those numbers. And um, our leadership supports that 1,000%. And um, so we've been able to kind of leverage some of that data over the last few years, put that into some tools that we could use, And um, begin to see results, which is, you know, at the end of the day, exactly what you're going for.
0: Cycle's sort of been a mainstay, but if I recall, you've started moving away from the uh, fixed time uh, cycle that most utilities are on. Is that correct? And if it is, tell us a little bit about what you're doing.
1: So we are moving that way, but we we are not making big strides. We're making steps forward. Um, we, we do have a system in place. It's a cycle-based maintenance system. Um, about three years ago, we decided to supplement that with a mid-cycle inspection and removal program. And the reason why is because we're on a really long cycle. It's five years. And in five years, a lot can happen with tree health, with um, site s- stability, and just changes in the environment. So, um, so we started looking at you know, a what are what are our outages actually caused by? Are they caused by grow-ins or blow-ins? And on our system, that's not our our issue. Our issue is whole tree failures outside the right-of-way, normally by live trees, normally by um, not weather related.
0: That's, I think, not unique to you. <laughs> Uh, very few grow in outages; they're all from off the right away. So,
1: right. So we took that information, and um, you know we we have set up some kind of dashboard type tools um, in house, and that was done in conjunction with our analytics department and our OMS system, and um, information that was relayed basically from the lineman to dispatch into those databases. And we wanted to get that information into the tools of our vegetation managers, foresters, just like myself. Um, So um, all of those are uh, used when we're looking at that mid-cycle work, when we're looking at the routine maintenance work. And, you know, if, if, I guess the goal, the end goal, is going to be to, to leverage that data along with some other technology pieces to ultimately come up with a sweet spot um, cycle length for every circuit on the system and um, particularly use that information along with other information that we're, we're starting to glean and um, really get to that prescriptive approach, but it's, it's kind of a, you know, REC specific prescriptive approach and it's based on a lot of research that we've done. Um, We've done um, hundreds of post-mortem investigations, looking at what exactly caused trees to fail on our system. And um, we think that's probably um, the basis of, you know, you know where you need to know where you're at and what your issues are to get to the next steps. So we've we've been collecting that data over the last three years. Um, our analytics department, um, who has created a spinoff called Brillet, has actually stood up an app for us twice um, to record all kinds of information about tree cost outages: the location, the um, you know, all kinds of different factors that we're interested in species and slope and height and DBH and, um, you know, any other kind of history. And then the biggest thing is, you know, what, what caused this tree to cause an outage? That's what we really want to know, because then we can use that to, to
2: move ourselves forward. If capital, if money was not a limiting factor for your program, let's just say, what would be some of the things that you would you know, your wish list of things that you'd be like, hey, um, I would do this, I would do that, I would do this. Like, what are some of the things that like, you would perhaps implement?
1: I would have an instantaneous snapshot using satellite data. That would be probably the first big grab. And I'd want that integrated with the vegetation management software system. Uh, We're kind of on our way with that already. Uh, We, the last two weeks spent doing some training with our new VMS system. And um, we are going to be pulling satellite data into that system and getting that into the hands of, of everyone that can, can use it, not just our foresters, but all the way down to the crew level. Anybody that fills out a timesheet will be able to see where those hazard trees are. Other than that, um, you know, would I like to be able to wiggle my nose and have resources just fall out of the sky to take care of every single <laughs> cool. one of right. those trees? Yeah, yeah, that's what's causing our outages, and we have a map of them yeah. related yep. to our system and and you know related to our historical outage data. Um, yeah, but you know, we we prioritize those based on how many customers it serves. So it's it's back to that. Um, Gifford Pinchot, who was uh, one of the founders of forestry in the United States Um, and the whole U.S. Forest Service mandate, multiple use mandate was kind of based on the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And um, that's kind of how we look at, um, to a certain extent, going after these mid-cycle trees is, you know, if it's going to affect you know, just one or two people, do we want to put our resources there, or do we want to put it on the section of the circuit, the three-phase, um, particularly within the high reliability zone between the substation and the first downline device, and it'll affect several thousand people. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where we've focused.
0: So as you work with the other co-ops, are you uh, cooperatively coming up with systems and plans, or how's that work? I
1: like what you did with that. I that was too, pretty Phil. good.
0: Savvy, look at you. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So there are about fifty cooperatives um, that have expressed interest in uh, the vegetation management working group, and um, we have a quarterly call. And on that quarterly call, um, earlier this year, we decided to stand up three sub working groups. And those three sub-working groups are related to herbicides and TGRs, number one. Number two, contracts and contracting methods. And number three, tree-caused adages and reporting. Imagine which one I'm involved in. But um, so, yeah, and we have really smart people running those three working groups. I I kind of had the, the main group, but... Um, Each of those working groups has participants and they um, are from all over the country. And um, we narrowed that down from a field of like 10, you know, other subjects that we could be talking about because bench is such a wide field. You know, there's safety, there's, um, you know, just using analytics and reliability metrics and, um, you know, training and fire and, you know, all these different directions we could have gone, but we needed to narrow it down so that we could focus. So for the next year or so, we um, have set up those three work sub working groups. And um, and so they have lots of things that they're um, talking about and, you know, f- kind of finding out where our niche is in the industry, you know, where we want to take these and, you know, how we want to disseminate that information out to our larger cooperative membership.
0: I understand you're doing some helicopter trimming still.
1: Oh um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that a national park land or <laughs> Yeah,
1: it is. Um, so yeah, we had never done, um, helicopter work at REC and, um, We've got some steep slopes. We've got some mountainous areas. We've got a lot of wetlands. And we wanted to be very deliberate about where we used it and when. So um, it, there's several circuits that serve Shenandoah National Park, which is one of the most beautiful parks in the country. And at one point, we were going in every year you know, with a, another section of a circuit that ha- happened to transgress across national parkland lands. And about five years ago, we said, why are we doing this? Why don't we just put all of that work? Because it does require special use permits and um, a pesticide use permit and, you know, lots of um, communication back and forth and mapping and very specific ways of entering and exiting um, the facilities and so forth. So we put that all in one cycle. And then we, we met with them and we said, okay, well, this is what we plan to do. Um, In years past, we had sent climbers in to do that work and it would take six months. And, um, you know, there was no cell service. It was very steep slopes, lots of rattlesnakes, lots of bears. And that's fine. It just goes with the territory. Right. But um, you know, is there a way w- we can do this more efficiently and effectively and kind of less of a visitor impact? So, yeah, we we started our helicopter program in Shenandoah National Park and uh, they were a great partner. Um, it ended up taking place um, a lot during COVID. And so the park was shut down for part of that. So it really didn't have any kind of impact to the visitor Um, A, B, we could kind of figure out the logistics because it is one of those programs that you work with every department. You get overhead guys in there, safety's in there, communications has to, you know, blanket everyone to make sure they know what we're doing and why. Um, And that's, that's one of the kind of co-op principles is, is, is treat me fair and serve me well. And I'm paraphrasing, but we try to take that to the nth degree. It's it, it's important not to hide what we're doing because we are using this for a de- deliberate reason, and that's for access and it's for safety. And, um, you know, we were able to get in and get out and get all that work done in a few days versus a few months. You
2: know, your transparency, it sounds like the way you communicate, I think you guys have been even recognized for how effective you are at communicating with your customer base right? Um, I believe you have received like recognition awards for that, like that level of transparency, that commitment to your customer base. Like, again, is this just, is this how the rec culture has been, RAC's culture? Like, this is how you guys operate? Because this is some of the things that we've observed that you guys are doing from technology to how you communicate is frankly, like somewhat unique. I haven't, I haven't seen this, sort of amongst the peer groups out there. So, like, again, is this just your culture? I mean, you've been there for how long? Ten years. Ten years. And where were you prior to REC?
1: Um, I spent another 12 years in an investor in Utility Pepco in Washington, D.C. Yep.
2: Yep. Okay. Um, Yeah, like, since you came here ten years ago, has it always been like this, or is this just something that continues to evolve at REC?
1: Um. We've always had a great communications department. I would say probably um, seven, eight years ago, we got a new director and uh, she kind of took it to the next level times 10. Um, I learned very early on that um, her name is Casey Hollins. And I knew that, you know, she was somebody that could really help my department because we have a lot of things that we do aren't necessarily very popular, and for example, if I had a helicopter coming in my backyard and no one <laughs> told me what was going on,
2: oh man, I would yeah. be livid. Like, oh, yeah. first
1: of all, what are they doing? Why? Why would, on earth? You know. So um, they do a fantastic job of getting information out to the public. Um, I'll I'll tell you a funny story Um, about two years ago, three years ago, they put a little blurb in the newsletter that goes out to our membership. It's a magazine and it's, you know, 180,000 members. And they said, um, you know, it was, it, it was an article about vegetation management and the things we do and why we do it and trees cause outages and, you know, the information that we wanted to get out. And then at the very end, they put a two, two sentence blurb at the end that said, Oh, and by the way, if you want wood chips, we recycle all those and give those to our members. If we're on the circuit that you're, you're, you know, we'll deliver it to you if you're close by, basically. Well, our membership reached out and said... We all want chips, chips for you and chips for you and <laughs> chips for you. So we had a lot of um, requests come in from across the the cooperative and they weren't necessarily where we were working. And we can't really spend the resources to drive, you know, 45 minutes to deliver a load of chips. So um, they do a really good job. Of, of getting information out and people actually read what they do because it's fun and interesting and innovative and attractive. And um, I would say that it's a continually evolving um, process of how they're always updating things and always updating the website and the message is pretty much the same, but the look is sometimes different, but now they're, they're a great partner within the cooperative.
0: So help us out with the award. It was a JD Powers Award for that, right? Specific to veg management? Oh,
1: yeah. So um, well, they win awards all the time. This the you know, the the public relations um, customer communications department is constantly winning awards because they're they are good, really good at what they do. But um yeah, this quarter um in terms of the question was, "Are you aware of vegetation management within your cooperative?" We won <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we were the number one cooperative um, um in the country, so that was yeah that was that That's was. Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: so they knew about it. Did they think positively about it? <laughs> It seems like two ways to know. Uh, Very good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we do communications with members. I send out a postcard to everyone before we get there just to let them know what we're doing. And that's for um, trimming and for herbicide. And, you know, if someone has questions, there's an 800 number to call at the bottom. And then basically, they get right to a forester. Um, We have nine professional foresters working on our EC system three in each of three field offices, operation center offices. Um, they work very closely with our ONC departments, and, um, and they are all very well-trained, all degreed, all certified arborists, and most of them are actually utility arborists as well.
0: C- Cindy uh, values education qualifications. Have you finished it yet? Cindy's working on her PhD, PhD out of West Virginia. And-
1: Oh. Yes, is it West Virginia? Go Mountaineers
0: It yeah. is, yeah, Dr. Greg Gall. Oh, very good
1: yeah, I'm writing that's what I did all weekend, basically. I'm writing about statistics, I'm writing about um, things that we've learned through our um, research of looking at um, tree cost outages post mortem if you will, and um how that relates to actionable. And using technology and a whole bunch of other things, but yeah.
2: So Cindy, I'm Canadian. I was, I was in Toronto and all the, you know, the fires that, you know, are taking place in the Montreal area, uh, Eastern Canada, Western Canada, like you can see the effects of that, you know, Athens outside of Greece is on fire. So, you know, your industry as a whole, like a focus on vegetation management seems to be getting a lot of national and global attention. Has that che- trickled down to, to the co-op and smaller utility levels in terms of like increased budgets or, um, has that, has the more macro focus changed anything at your level, right? In terms of the size of what you guys do and what you focus on.
1: So, um, I have a couple thoughts about this topic. Um, one is, we are very blessed in Virginia to have not had drought conditions and to have a primarily hardwood forest um, ecotype uh, versus our friends out west that don't and have been in severe drought situations for for decades. Um, that being said, we took it upon ourselves to develop a, a wildfire management plan. Uh, for the cooperative this year. And so that's in place and, um, you know, it, it'll be updated frequently. Uh, I, I don't know how many of our East Coast utilities have done something similar. I'm guessing some have and, and some haven't. Um, in terms of, um, you know, increased budgets or, or what have you, you know, we're always cognizant of, of fire. Um, prevention and and proper forest management. Um, I wouldn't say that's increased our budget related to that. I will say, though, at a uh, macro or national or even international level, I would say that it's really brought to folks' attention forest management. What is forestry? How does utility forestry play a role? And is utility forestry forestry or is it agriculture or is it a kind of right. a hybrid mix between the two? And, you know, I know that utility forestry has kind of not been part of um, a national conversation related to forest management and the science and art of forestry. I think it should be. I think it should be represented at national conventions. I think it should be talked about. I think research articles should be published in the Journal of Forestry. And um, that's something I think we're moving towards. And every time I talk to somebody that's in those organizations, um, you know, I mention that because I think it goes, kind of flies under the radar. You know, we've always been part of the, the ISA and I think, you know, absolutely that'll continue. Um, but I think, When you start talking about fire suppression and fire prevention and fire management, you can't have those conversations without talking about how vegetation is maintained around overhead lines and the significant role that
0: utilities play. You may be leading the way, but more and more utilities in the East are talking about the fire mitigation plans. To your point, though, that
2: it's increased the awareness of, I think, the overall industry So obviously, bad outcome, right? Not great things that are happening, but it's certainly drawing the right attention. And I think where we're going to see the impact is increased education, greater commitment to technology, uh, PUC, scaling of dollars. um, And then a lot of the things that you've been leading, I think will become more the standard across the industry. Now, you guys have very successfully done things that I think will get carried through at a, at a, at a larger scale. Um, and it will become the norm. So, um, cause we can see that data. Like I am very obsessed with tracking data and, mm-hmm. and industry trends and where are we headed? You know, who's kind of the thought leaders of the industry, you guys, of course, being one of them. Um, so I find it very interesting and I think this thing is going to, this thing, when I say this thing, I mean, you know, whatever you would want to define as a whole in terms of forestry, but I think it's really, um, it's on a lot of people's minds. I'll just say that
1: it's too bad it takes national news and catastrophic fires and that kind of yeah. thing to bring it to people's attention. But yeah, um, you know, sometimes it's a spotted owl. Sometimes it's a town burning down.
2: Yeah, yeah. Depending that's, on the decade. That's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Well, this was uh, Phil. I don't know. If, uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Um, yeah. Super. Yeah. Super C-
0: super. Yeah, Cindy. I really appreciate the way you're leading. Things, yeah, very know. much so. I think a few years ago we did a benchmark, and it was less than fifteen percent of utilities studied how trees cause outages on their property, and hmm. that's what they're spending all their money to prevent. So, I'm glad right. to hear you're into it, and you're looking at it, and you're learning. So,
2: <laughs> no, fantastic.
0: That uh, number of things you're doing really exciting. It'll be interesting to watch.
2: Well, thank
1: you.
0: Any, any thoughts you want to leave us with?
1: I think we're making some. Big strides at Rappahannock. Um, we're working with our um, IT uh, company, Brillet, that's been stood up recently, and we're developing um, some different products and some different systems that I think, um, you know, when we're we're in the midst of proving how these work and and how they look. But I I think long term, these are processes and um, some some software and some apps even that can probably be replicated and used in other places so stay tuned
0: very good cindy we want to thank you for being with us very sharing so. your thank ideas you. uh, really a promising future there
2: yeah cindy. cindy thanks this was fun
0: appreciate the opportunity take care guys that's it for this episode of the trees and lines podcast Brought to you by Iapetus Infrastructure Services. If you like the show, please give us a rating of five stars on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at We'll chat with you soon.